This week, we have a lot of questions. Do grapes belong on pizza? Are Reese's really Reese's without the chocolate? And is Irish potato candy even Irish? Stay tuned because we're answering it all right here on Need to Know. to know where each week we're serving up all the hottest takes on the latest baking news, gossip, entertainment, and online trends fresh from the oven. I'm Mia Brabham, host, entertainment expert, and red velvet worshiper. And today our special guest is Andrew Smith, who's an Irish baker, engineer, and season four Great British Bake Off finalist. Be sure to subscribe, rate five stars, and review wherever you listen to podcasts, or like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Now, grab some breakfast, bake as you listen, or pour yourself a cup of coffee or tea, because here's this week's trends hot from the oven. So St. Patrick's Day is around the corner and nearly 33 million people celebrate St. Patrick's Day every single year. According to Bake Magazine, 57% of Americans celebrated the holiday in 2020 and consumers spent approximately $6.1 billion on St. Patrick's Day. I wonder how much of that was spent on dyeing rivers green, like Gemma mentioned last week, and just how much was spent on bakery treats. It's a joy to see how people participated in the holiday despite worldwide lockdowns last year, and hopefully the same will go for this year. Fingers crossed. Irish soda bread, anyone? Speaking of Irish treats, Insomnia Cookies has introduced its Irish potato cookie inspired by Irish potato candy to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. The interesting thing here is Irish potato candy is neither Irish nor is it any part potato. It's actually a traditional Philadelphia confection that's made up of confectioner sugar, coconut cream, and coconut flakes that's rolled in cinnamon to look like a potato. The treat is rumored to have been developed in the late 1800s or early 1900s. By an Irish immigrant here in America, but it doesn't actually have roots in Ireland itself. Philadelphia's Shane Candy Company said that they go through over 500 per week this time of year. If the tale is true. I think it's kind of awesome that someone's paying homage to their heritage with a new treat. It's pretty cool. But if not, I think that gets a little bit tricky and kind of weird. I can't wait to hear, though, what Gemma's take is on this. And in the meantime, let us know if you've ever had one. We have big news. The latest season of Great Celebrity Bake Off has been casted. And boy, is it good. The celebrity iteration of The Great British Bake Off will include stars like KSI, Daisy Ridley, Rob Beckett, Tom Allen, Little Mix singer Jade Thurwall, and my personal favorite, James McAvoy. But we'll have the full list in the show notes, so be sure to check it out there. Apparently, one of Tom Allen's creations gets stuck at the bottom of the freezer. And at some point, he also says, I'm so embarrassed I could die. It's okay, Tom. We've all been there. If you were breathing last Sunday, you probably watched Oprah's eye-opening interview with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, along with 17 million other people. There were a lot of important things to unpack here, like unfair treatment in regards to race and mental health, but a lesser and more lighthearted bomb dropped was that Meghan Markle's first job was at a frozen yogurt shop called Humphrey Yogurt. Yes, yogurt, not Bogart. Hilarious. A fun tidbit for you, it still exists and you can actually visit it in Sherman Oaks today. I wonder if they've gotten a ton of new customers since the interview aired. So I just might have to send someone from Team BBB on a little assignment. I can't lie, though. I strictly brought this up just because I want an excuse to talk about one of my favorite recipes on Bigger Boulder Baking, which is Gemma's Cookies and Cream Frozen Yogurt, which you can make in just five minutes with no machine. It's ingenious. So it's it's great. It's yummy. It's creamy. And I love it. And speaking of yummy and creamy, last week we mentioned an entirely different Reese's story. 
But y'all, there's more. Reese's is coming out with naked Reese's cups. I cannot believe this. The brand is on fire with new iterations of its traditional treat and recently announced that the most extreme peanut buttery version of its iconic cup is coming out. Get this without a chocolate coating. Yes, that means it's all peanut butter, nothing but peanut butter. I I don't even know if this is even a real peanut butter cup anymore. Like that's like taking the filling out of a Twinkie and calling it a Twinkie or removing cookies from an Oreo and calling it a new Oreo. I'm sorry, but it's just cream. I mean, I like peanut butter, but I don't, I don't think I can get behind this. So what do you guys think? Is a peanut butter Reese's cup really still a Reese's cup? I don't know. Let us know. TikTok strikes again, and this time with pancake-covered bananas. Yes, you heard it right. Not pancakes with bananas on top, but bananas covered in pancake batter topped with maple syrup, Nutella, oh my gosh, or nut butter. You just cover banana slices in your favorite pancake mix, put them in a buttered pan over low heat, and bake on each side until golden brown. These look so good. I want one right now. But it did raise an interesting discussion. Some people apparently have never had bananas on pancakes. My heart really, really goes out to you because it was life-changing for me. So now I'm just glad we're all part of this big banana pancake club. It's great. Now, for a complete pivot, let's talk about grapes. Chef Jamie Oliver sparked a debate when he shared a recipe with grapes on pizza. He called it his favorite speedy sausage pizza, which includes, get this, veggie sausage, red onion, sun-dried tomato paste, and then seedless red grapes. He made a poll and 65% were not down for this ride at all. Would you eat it? I mean, it's not so much the grapes that get me personally. It's the onion and grape tomato combo. Like, I I don't know about that. Um, I don't know. But just thinking about it really makes me want to go brush my teeth. That is what I know. Before I do that, though, for a true culinary take, we always need a real expert. Please welcome your favorite professional baker, host, cookbook author, and bigger, bolder baking creator, Gemma Stafford. Hi, Gemma. Hi, Mia. How are you? (laughs) I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's a nice start to the week here. Uh, The weather is good in Santa Monica. Yes. I know you've been keeping really busy. I keep up with you and you guys have been on the beach and doing lots of fun things. Baking, of course. So I can't I can't wait to hear about all that. But um, first, you know, diving into everything that's trending. We had some interesting things this week, (sighs) mostly with grapes and potatoes slash not actually potatoes. So I'm going to hop into that one first because I'm fascinated. Okay. Um, Have you heard of Irish potato candy slash cookies? And yes. what are your thoughts on it? Also, happy almost St. Patrick's Day. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so, oh, so I only learned about them a few years ago. Somebody made them for me. Um, it's it's not an Irish thing. Just just don't want to put that out there. This is they do not that they don't exist in Ireland. Um, they are I know they're they're little coconut c- coconut little cookies, right? And they're dusted mm-hmm. in cocoa powder, isn't that right? Yep. So in cinnamon. Tasty. Mm-hmm. Uh, cinnamon. Mm-hmm. And they're tasty, but um I'd never in my life heard of them. And I have some Irish friends here in Santa Monica and some of the neighbors' kids dropped them off uh, on St. Patrick's Day. They were like, oh, look, this is like a tradition. Here's these Irish potatoes. And they texted me and they were like, What? <laughs> The hell is this? And I was like, I know, I know, I don't know, I don't even, don't even get me started. But uh, so it's not traditional for us. Uh, however, I do find them quite tasty. 
Oh my gosh. I've never had one. Um, that's a hilarious story. It's just like you say, thank you. Smile and wave, smile and wave. I'll take them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I read that there's um, an Irish food historian. Her name is Regina Sexton. And she said that the cinnamon coating is actually very indicative of American taste, which I didn't know that that yeah. was like uh, an American thing. Cinnamon. Oh, absolutely. Wow. So, like, to, so apple pie right we have apple pie in ireland we call it tart we don't call it pie but um i remember coming so we used to visit the united states a lot when we were kids we used to come here on vacation and we we would get like apple pie and it would have cinnamon in it so it became so all cinnamon became a very american flavor so if we were to eat something that was like had a lot of cinnamon we would say Uh like it tastes very american like oh it just, it's so weird but we just didn't we didn't bake with it like uh, we don't bake with it like liberally like you guys do and uh, I don't know why because it's a great spice but um, yeah so it, it does there, there's a particular we used to say it had an American flavor wow and, uh, but I, I say obviously now over the years I've gotten very used to it but yeah no it was like why is there this spice in my apple tart it's supposed to be apples <laughs> pastry (laughs) that's so funny I never realized that and it is it's weird because I made enchiladas last night and uh I followed a new recipe and it called for cinnamon and it was very interesting um Mm. never made enchiladas with cinnamon but I will say I recommend it um but back to this candy one thing I find very interesting about the story is that there's a lot of speculation around how it came up here in America because it's not Irish. It doesn't have Irish roots. And several um, like modern day candy makers say that they think that it was just leftovers, like the coconut filling and a baker like didn't know what to do with it. So they made it into this. And I think that's cool. It's like folklore. It's cool. Who knows? Yeah, that's what it's a. Yeah, that's a like a sweet, like everything has to come from somewhere, right? So it's a yeah. sweet little tradition. I yeah. like that. I like that story. Yes. But, the, what, but cool. yeah. But then what confectionery were the, was the filling going into? Yeah, it's all a bit, yeah, okay. I believe yeah. it. <laughs> Interesting. We're like, hmm, okay, we'll, we'll take it, maybe. Um, <laughs> but have you heard too, I just learned about this, I had no idea, uh, idea about this, is that there's just, there's not I, just Irish potato candy, there's also just potato candy, and it's an American South tradition, and apparently mm. it's mashed potato with peanut butter. And it's potato candy. Have you tried that? I wish Brian Hart Hoffman was here to talk to us about this and tell us if he's had it. Have I tried that? No, I haven't tried that. <laughs> Is that a thing? It's a thing. Do people really do that? But do people really do us? Someone weigh in. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm from Virginia. I don't know if that really is the South, but I want to know, you know, people from the South have really had this or if this is the thing they see often because apparently it is, but I... Like I said, did not know about this. I was today years old when I found out about this. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Which, um, so you well, wouldn't okay. try it. So I don't want to try it. No, absolutely <laughs> not. I like my potatoes to be my potatoes and my peanut butter and my desserts and all my, um, like my accoutrement for jams and everything. <laughs> Th- those to live over there and like my mashed potatoes to be nowhere near those two. I would not mm-hmm put those two together. I also don't see the point in that, Mia, to be honest with you. Like, I agree with you, you take, on that. But what's the point? Like, how, how is that good? Is it, is it a salty? Like, nuts and potatoes. No, I'm sorry. I, I have to say like, that's a hard no for me. 
Yeah, the peanut butter is an interesting choice. Like, why is that indicative? Is that a, is peanut butter is, I feel like, an, a very, like, American, is it a global thing? So I'm like, no, why is that a Southern is an thing? American ingredient. Ooh! Oh, my yeah, gosh, no. I'm learning so much today. But no, why honestly, the South? I'm like, huh? So peanut butter, like, we, growing up in Ireland, you know, I think we we did. My brother used to eat us. We used to have. Um, I think you you could buy peanut butter in stores, but we knew it as a very American ingredient. There was a lot of things like that growing up, like sayings, the way you would do something, uh, food ingredients, uh, style. Like we we referred to it as like very American because we were an island of just. Irish people and we got a lot of influence from the US and it was so mm. different uh, growing up in Ireland it was so different than I am assuming it was in the US yeah it just uh, it we just uh, we just had this like we thought of these things as like being very American mm. so a uh, peanut butter uh, is a very American thing and we, but I have to say, like now, years in, I do enjoy peanut butter. You know, peanut butter and chocolate, I've got nothing against. I, I do. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um, what I do really like is peanut butter and and like a jelly. So like peanut butter and yeah. raspberry jam, like in a dessert, oh um, like some sort of fancy sandwich. Like I do actually really like that. So I'm more mm. of a peanut butter and jelly person than I am a peanut butter and chocolate person. I feel the same way. And it's so funny because peanut butter and jelly uh, sandwiches, they're huge. And in the NBA, there was an article that came out a few years ago that I found fascinating. Um, And like PB&Js were like the food of the NBA. Like all the players are like, we want PB&Js, which I find they're just so fun. Like it's a nice, easy sandwich. I do not think they're underrated or overrated. I actually think they're underrated. Um, But yeah, I would, I will say this, Gemma, I'll try anything once. So I would try potato candy, even though that sounds terrifying to me, like would not put mashed potatoes and peanut butter together. (laughs) I have to say, so um, just a little bit of uh, bringing my culture to the table. Yes, I probably shouldn't. I probably shouldn't talk uh, for all Irish people, but this is the Irish St. Patrick's Day episode. So let's get a little bit Irish. But um, so, you know, the way you have PB and J's over here and like you come home from school and kids would have them, they'd have them in the lunchbox. We did not have that. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich was not a thing. We don't have grape jelly. That's not for sale in my country. Like that's not a thing. So anyway, but what we would have in my house, and I do think in a lot of other Irish houses, we would have a banana sandwich. Mm. So you would get a slice of white bread and like just um, what we call them uh, like batch, like sliced pans. So just regular sliced, the same bread that you would have your peanut butter and jelly sandwich on. You would butter it. You would get a banana. You would slice up your banana and then you would sprinkle sugar on it. And then you would sandwich it uh, with another piece of buttered bread. And then you would (gasps) eat a banana sandwich. That sounds and so good. Let me good. tell you, a banana sandwich is one of the most delicious things you'll ever eat. Oof. Way better than peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with that peanut butter and banana. Maybe we put them together. Let's see how no, it goes. No, I didn't say that. I just said banana. I just didn't say banana, peanut butter. especially St. <laughs> Patrick's Day. You guys heard that banana sandwiches only. 
That's it. Um, And speaking of like weird combinations, interesting. Jamie Oliver also sparked an online debate because he shared a recipe with grapes on pizza. So it's like sausage, red onion, grapes. Would you try this? And what's the weirdest thing you've ever put grapes into? And did it taste good? So I get us a little bit. Like, would I have a fig and prosciutto pizza? I think that's a weird combination because we haven't heard of it before. But mm-hmm. I do think that he is... um you know, treading those waters of like sweet and savory and like different combinations. So I've just never heard of a sausage and a grape, but um, I think that would work. Like I trust Jamie Oliver, like, you know, <laughs> he's been around a long time. He knows what he's talking about. He makes really good food. I, w- I would try that. I would. I probably wouldn't eat a whole pizza of it, but I would definitely try that. Um, With regards to grapes, um, I love grapes. I used to eat so many grapes when I was pregnant. Uh, because I craved something sweet and, and I and I was trying to be careful about how much t- sugar I ate. Yeah. So it's so many grapes. But I don't know if I've really had grapes in any kind of weird shape or form. Like I love them on a charcuterie board. <laughs> um, True. I love them, you know, like... Like sometimes you put them in the freezer and they're frozen. But I just don't Ooh. know if I, I, I'd say grapes and cheese is probably about as exciting as it gets for me. <laughs> and on the site, you have um, you have grape focaccia, though, and grape oh, yeah. almond cakes, which I found very creative because maybe that's like for you, you know, you develop recipes like you come up with these things. But to me, as someone who does not develop recipes, but enjoys yeah. baking, I'm like, I would have never thought about that. And that's creative. To me. So I, I do have those. Let me tell you about um the the grape and almond cakes. They that that was a that that was a hard one for me to come up with. Like I really struggled mm. because I don't traditionally use grapes in a recipe. So I did struggle about like how where am I going to find how am I going to incorporate grapes into my baking? So those little cakes are absolutely they're really nice. Um I have a grape focaccia that uh, escapes the na- the name escapes me right now. It is a traditional, I think, a Tuscan bread, where you take uh, grapes from I think the new season and the old season, and you like put them into a focaccia, something like that. It, the, the bread is to is to symbolize um, like the, the harvest. And wow. Yeah, so it's um, it's a gorgeous focaccia. It's, it's focaccia. It's um, focaccia with Tom Cord. No, no. Concord grapes and uh, rosemary and honey. Um, it's really sweet. It's really delicious. It's super, it's bubbly. It's a really lovely focaccia. And there are uh, grapes all the way throughout it and on top. And like, it's really, really gorgeous mm. recipe, actually. Um, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to look that one up. But that's on my website. That's on biggerbolderbaking.com. Yeah, check it out. I have to make all of them this weekend. Those are going to be, I'm going to have a grape weekend. It's a great festival. A great weekend. <laughs> <laughs> a great weekend. Um, it's punny and great. It's great. I do that every weekend. <laughs> it's called wine. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. That's you. Speaking of, you said um, when you, uh, you freeze grapes sometimes or refrigerate them and then eat them or not refrigerate, but freeze them. Um, when you drop it in wine, it's perfect because it keeps your wine yeah. cold. I love yeah. that. I guess I've done people- that. 
people know I've that. I've done but, that yep. before <laughs> because um, I always, I don't always have ice cubes. I've um, so I like often go to like have a drink and there's no ice cubes. So I will do frozen grapes or frozen strawberries too. Ooh, I've never tried that. That sounds really, yeah. really good. Um, okay, so to cl- white wine. Oh. That sounds amazing. I love white and red. I definitely don't discriminate. Like all of it, send it my way. Um, but to round us off, I wasn't originally going to ask you this, but I am, I'm, I'm dying to know, especially since we talked about peanut butter. Reese's now is going to have, they're having a new iteration of a cup, but it doesn't have a chocolate like outer layer. So now it's just peanut butter on the inside oh. and the outside. Is this still a Reese's cup? What do you well, think? Isn't that just the inside like you said it has it on the outside and the inside but isn't that just inside it's just the inside but then you don't have the combination the whole thing about a Reese's peanut butter cup is the combo of chocolate a little bit of chocolate and a little bit of peanut butter so now you just have filling no sorry Reese's (laughs) (laughs) Gemma said it mic drop Literal mic drop. No. I completely agree. So thank you. The the verdict is in. It's not really a Reese's. No, uh, that's not a thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so before we go though, what is new with bigger boulder baking? Anything exciting? What's new with bigger boulder baking? Um, we are very busy this time of year getting because we're you know we head into the seasons where like there is an abundance of uh, like lovely. fruit and ingredients available to us so we've got some really fun stuff lined up for our spring recipes I am and and also including um, St. Patrick's Day so we've got some lovely real traditional recipes we did Irish potato farls and that are going to be on the website which is a potato cake that you would make in Ireland with leftover potatoes my mom used to make them all the time and we have uh, an Irish, uh, actually, I shouldn't be telling you all this. You should go to the website, but an Irish <laughs> amber cake and uh, some other like lovely steamed puddings. So I've definitely, mm. uh, you'll see on the website more and more Irish recipes and then more um, traditional ways of cooking some of them. Like I have a few uh, steamed puddings. There's a steamed chocolate pudding for Easter and a steamed carrot cake pudding for Easter as well. So all those things are coming and just like super, super delicious. If you ever, I don't know if you ever had a steamed pudding, Mia, but it is, you get all the lovely flavor and rather than the dry heat of an oven, it, it you, it's just cooked in moisture. So you end up mm. with this really soft, delicious cake that just gets better with time. It's just absolutely delicious. I love so a cake that, that gets better with time. To. Oh my yeah. gosh, yes. Go to the website, um, check out all of this. I'm excited. I haven't actually had steam pudding, but I have. I know what it is from, of course, reading <laughs> your recipes. So maybe I'll just make one this weekend for St. Patrick's Day fun. It'll be good. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for stopping by today and taking time to be here. And right after this break, y'all, we're going to be chatting with Andrew Smith. So stay tuned. <laughs> listeners i want to tell you about another podcast that i love it's called add passion and stir add passion and stir is an incredible podcast from my friends at share our strength they're the nonprofit that run the no kid hungry campaign and they know a lot about food 
food systems, and what it takes to change our world for the better. I was even featured in an episode last December. Every week on Add Passion and Stir, host Billy Shore talks to people from the culinary, nonprofit, political, and media worlds about the central role that food plays in so many things we care about, like hunger, nutrition, education, health, entertainment, and much more. They talk about food, not just why we love it, but how central it is to the overall quality of our lives. I think you'll learn something new and you'll be inspired at the same time. I can tell you, putting world-class chefs together with leaders from the nonprofit sector creates such amazing, eye-opening conversations. Download an episode of Add Passion and Stir today and check it out. You will be hooked. All right, everybody, pull up your seats to At The Counter, a segment where we have a conversation with people who are doing interesting and amazing things in baking. So today we have a very special guest for our St. Patrick's Day episode. He is the incredible Irish aerospace engineer by day, baker by day and night, and finalist from Great British Bake Off season four, Andrew Smith. The Cake Smith <laughs> is here. This is incredible. It's a pleasure to be here. Hello, Mia. Hi, it's so good to have you. And also, thank you so much for being part of the No Kid Hungry Bakeathon that Gemma put on this past year. You sent in a video and it played, and I, that's just so cool that um, yeah, you were able to do that. Yeah, my pleasure. idea. Yeah, thank you so much. So, and we're happy to have you here now, which is exciting. So, we like to start these off with a question that's not necessarily about baking because we want to know about you. So, a little birdie told me you're a fan of musical theater and of chorus. <laughs> so, as a double thespian and theater fan myself, I'm wondering what is your favorite musical and how did you come to fall in love with musical theater? I'm so excited to Ooh, know this. Okay, gosh. So, um, that's a tricky question. I was quite late to the musical theater party, to be honest. I really got into it maybe like five-ish years ago and um, just on the kind of amateur dramatics um scene so I am not I don't have a big encyclopedic knowledge of musicals so I've got quite a limited but I have to say my favorite one it's one I've also been in but it just makes me laugh every time Legally Blonde yeah. I just I spent part of quarantine literally rewatching it over and over on YouTube. Like that was a quarantine <laughs> phase. Oh my gosh, I love this. It was it was so good and it was such a hoot to, to be a part of as well. So um I guess a long time kind of singer and in kind of music, but quite late yeah. to the musical theater scene, but really, really enjoyed it. But I, I haven't done it for a little while now, but I'm hoping I'll get to kind of scratch that itch sometime soon. Yes. Who did you play in Legally Blind? No one particularly interesting. I played. I, um, I, I played like several roles. I played the guy who comes on and says "Subtext" by Calvin Klein. Um, yes. I got a lot of like funny little lines. I was in Gay or European. I was the yes. guy in the trial there with the terrible fake tan. It was. Um, it was a little bit of everything, but it was very good fun, and it meant I didn't have too many lines to remember, which was good from my point of view. Yeah, the lines the lines are definitely hard, but if you are listening, you should definitely check out um, Andrew's video on Twitter. He does a nine part harmony to Imogen Heap's Hide and Seek, and it's really good. Like it's, it's you have done really your research, so, <laughs> I highly recommend. Highly recommend. So, okay, we're gonna start talking about baking now. Surprise! So, what is your earliest baking memory you have? Like, what's the first thing you remember baking? Uh, it probably, I mean, I know a lot of people, it goes back to their parents and grandparents. For me, um, my gran and my mum really kind of big into baking. And I remember helping my gran make, she has this iconic chocolate cake that our family all make to this day. 
I remember kind of climbing up onto a stool beside the counter and helping her kind of mix all the ingredients together. And that's so seared into my memory. Uh, I couldn't even tell you what age it was, but I felt like it, it just became such a tradition when we went round. Gran kind of got the gist that I was really into baking. And um, so we'd end up making something. And that was that was really where it all started for me. At that point, I was more into the eating than the making. I think the making bit yeah. came a bit later on. <laughs> Same, same. That's awesome. So um, that's when you know you loved, you knew that you loved baking. When did you know that you loved space and science and engineering? When did that passion come about? So, I mean, when I was starting, I guess, secondary school, end of like primary school, I really wanted to be a pilot. I'd always been fascinated by things in the air, flying. I thought I'm going to be a pilot and I happened to be kind of all right at maths and stuff as well. So then I just always thought I was going to train to become a pilot. And I thought it would be a good idea to have a backup option. So I kind of went into engineering. And then in doing the engineering degree, it realized I kind of wanted to be the designer rather than the driver. And then I find that more interesting to then decide to stay on kind of the aerospace engineering side. And I kind of gave up the piloting dream. And it didn't help that on a few... Um, practice flights. I was sick on the inside of the cockpit. Sorry for anybody who's eating while they're listening to this, but I, there were some motion sickness issues which didn't fully get resolved. So I thought being on solid ground, but being able to look into the amazing science and working on the future of aircraft would, would be something that I'd be really passionate about. Oh my gosh. Now you've been at Rolls-Royce for all these years, which is amazing. And I also saw that you you were able to see the rover that's currently on Mars in person. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I was very, very fortunate on a trip to um, LA a few years ago. Uh, I got a tour. Um, a lovely follower on Twitter called Sarah, who works at GPL, she reached out wow. and said, would you like a tour? And I was like, oh, would I? Uh, yes, please. <laughs> So I got to see, and I, I didn't really realize at the time, this was back in the end of 2018, when they were still putting together the Perseverance rover in the clean room. So it was behind glass, but I got to see it in person. And it's only a few weeks ago, the penny dropped, the, the real video footage that we saw. I was like, that's the one I saw. And I was scrolling back and I put it on my highlights on Instagram. I was like, that's the, that's the thing that I saw that landed on Mars. So it was a real humbling moment but really really exciting and I was so lucky to get that tour it was incredible so so cool and at what point did you know that um you know in conjunction with baking and science at what point did you know okay baking is not just a hobby it's not just a thing I do with my family I want this to also be part of my science career like when did that idea come so that, that kind of came post bake-off and everything um yeah, I mean, it was a complete surprise. Uh, the National Space Centre here was doing a kind of foodie evening event and they reached out and said, can you do a talk that combines something spacey with something food related? And I was like, oh, OK, let me let me get back to you and have a think. And then I started doing kind of my research and then I did this show and they couldn't cram enough people in. It was so popular. We then did it two more times and it sold out. And I was like, there's, there's something in this. So I kind of wrote it into a one man, 70 minute show kind of live on stage with audience tasters and I've been able to kind of take it to various places around the world now so we've we've done a, a run in Ireland the UK I've done bits in Spain and um, it, it's even kind of gone out um, internationally it's used to train some professors out in Japan as well I wow. found out recently some of the footage so completely 
unexpected combination, but um, yeah, I kind of uniquely know I got this thing, baconeering. When baking meets engineering, you get baconeering. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so we'll we'll go back to baconeering in a second, sure. but I do want to talk about <laughs> Great British Bake Off. The um, elephant in the room. So, <laughs> the elephant in the room. Um, so uh, what is the story behind you going on the show and like what made you want to do it? What was the audition process like? Just kind of like walk us through that. Long time fan, no time applier, basically. So I'd watched it from the first season. I was at university when the first season came out. So it was my go-to thing that I would relax to and watch. Uh, And the season before the one I went on, I just opened the application form just to have a little peek. Got so intimidated that I closed it down and said, nah, it's, it's not for me. It's too much. So anyway, and I talked to my friends about applying. So they were saying, oh, you know, you're not going to apply. You gave it up you know, boring. So anyway, the next year comes along and I start talking about applying again. And all my friends are saying, oh, you said this last year, don't, don't bother if you're not going to follow through. So I thought, no, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead with the application. And to my surprise, somehow I got through every successive stage. It was a bit of a punt in terms of an application. And then one day you get a call saying you're in the final 12 of the 10. And that's really when it dawns on you what you've signed up for and yeah. the huge risk of public humiliation <laughs> yes! that, that potentially awaits. So it was an amazing motivator, but it was an incredible challenge for me, both competing and also learning to bake a few things that I was very unfamiliar with. Oh my gosh. So speaking of public humiliation, just being scared to bake in front of not just judges, but a literal global audience. Um, I really want to know, baking is such an intimate thing. At least I feel like it. Um, So was it a weird feeling for you to bake in front of that many people with like cameras all around you? Because I feel like speaking came after this for you. So was this your first real exposure to being like, people are watching me bake? That's kind of weird. Yeah. So I'd never done any baking in public at all before this or anything so it's a baptism Mm -hmm. of fire it's fair to say you know part of the audition process is trying to make sure that you can you're comfortable enough in front of the cameras to kind of multitask at the same time but nothing really prepares you for the shock of being in there and three cameras being in your face you know Paul and Mary being at the front of the tent the timer's ticking down and you're midway through folding a sponge together it's a feast for the senses and can be a bit overwhelming, but also the adrenaline buzz you get is addictive. It's like nothing else. It's such a thrill to be there. It's it's like you've stepped into, I always kind of used to compare it to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, like my TV. It's like you've stepped into the TV and are in the tent that you saw, but now it's in 3D and you can touch it and you can smell it and you're in it rather than it just being the jingly music that you're watching on screen. So it was magical. Oh my gosh, that is wild. And so you mentioned the timer. We really wanted to know this on our team. When the timer counts down, did you guys actually, like when it went off, did you really have to stop? Or were they sometimes like, okay, you have a second to finish? Oh no, when when the timer goes, that's it. Like that's a very strict rule. (laughs) What they don't do is there's not like a big clock at the front. They tell you the time at the beginning and they maybe give you a few time calls. But I always wanted to know exactly how much time I had left. So I would set my own master timer. It was like the New York Stock Exchange. I had like five timers. (laughs) And I'd be yelling out, 15 minutes left, 10 minutes left, which I think at times was challenging for the producers because I think they quite like it when someone says five minutes and they're taken by surprise. 
I was never surprised by a time call. <laughs> that is so funny. So I don't know if you know this, but there's a BuzzFeed article petitioning for you to get your own set of emojis based on your reactions on the show. Um, because people just love your facial reactions. They're like, get Andrew's own emojis. And I will sign this. So have you seen this? Like, what do you think of this? Would you like your own set of emojis? Because I would. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it would come in useful. I mean, I have from time to time. I mean, this is really this potentially drifts into narcissism territory, but there are GIFs that you can look up on WhatsApp. So sometimes I've sent a reaction GIF of myself from Bake Off to a thread. I mean, you've got to be pretty careful when you use that because your friends will think you're a jerk pretty quickly. (laughs) Uh, But maybe emoji is just the natural, the natural next step. I have a very expressive face. I'm very bad at hiding my emotions. I, that, that really comes across on the screen. And it's true in real life. My friends say, if you're unhappy or someone's annoyed you or you're having a great time, I'm very easy to read. Um, yeah. And that definitely translates to screen. Oh my gosh, same. So, you know, on the opposite side of like the really happy or funny reactions, I feel like you also have... I mean, everyone that shows great, but you have really concentrated faces. And all I could think when I watched parts of your season were, where do you go in your head when you bake? Like you seem to be in another world. Like you are so focused. So where do you kind of go in those moments? <laughs> Twilight zone. <laughs> I mean, you just, it's just tunnel vision really, because I was mm. pretty, <clears throat> excuse me. I was pretty focused I, I'm pretty competitive right if I enter something I want to give it my absolute best shot and I don't want to let myself down so when you feel the pressure I think this all erupted kind of in week six when I had my crying moments because it was just the pressure kind of spilled out when the reality that I might be going home really set in yeah so I think in those moments when you know you've got you know 20 seconds to ice each side of a fondant fancy because you've done the calculations and you know then you're going to get them all done in an hour so you're there mm-hmm. just like setting the timer and you just completely block everything else out and I've never experienced focus like it in my life because there just wow. wasn't any time to think about anything else it was just so militantly focused on what I had to do which at times probably came across Ooh. as an intensity but I think it was a positive intensity. It wasn't like a, ooh, like RBF, you know, if that's a thing. So, it wasn't like that. <laughs> it was it was admirable. Like I literally was like, oh, where is he going? That's amazing. Um, and I don't know, have you seen, this is weird, but have you seen the movie Soul yet? The Disney Pixar no, movie? No, not yet. I haven't watched it yet. I thought when I, when I saw you so concentrated, I actually thought of this movie because I, I won't spoil the whole movie, but in part of it, they talk about your soul, like you transcend earth when you're doing what you love and you're in this, I think they call it the zone. Oh, I may be wrong, but it's like the zone and you go there and it's like, you're not here anymore. Like you're in another, you're in another space because it's what you love. And that I feel like you are soul. Like it, it was I've, so I've, cool. I've had that. I've heard that described as like a sense of flow before when people mm. kind of, when you get so immersed in a task or a passion that everything at time kind of drifts away and you become super productive, super focused. You're in that kind of flow mindset. And yeah, yeah. Bake Off was just was able to bring that out of me. That's so cool. Um, is there a moment that it didn't air that you really loved at all? Um, there's a moment that's particularly, it wasn't a proud moment, but it's a moment that didn't make it where I accidentally had to strip off in front of Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood. So basically the abridged version is it was during one of the judgings and I have a real phobia of bees and wasps. 
And one literally landed within my collar, dropped down into my shirt. So I lost it and was running around. Jane and Candice knew I was terrified. So they just ripped my shirt off. So they had to stop (laughs) filming at this point. Um, And Sue thought, my reaction was so bad, she thought I was allergic. So she was calling for a paramedic to come out. So meanwhile, this paramedic's jogging out to help in the tent. I'm hyperventilating. My microphone's been ripped off and I'm just topless in a tent in front of Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood. Very surreal moment, which thankfully, even though it's probably in the archives somewhere, was never transmitted. See, this is why American television is just the worst because they would have kept taping. Like, I just think of Bad Girls Club. They would have been like, keep rolling, keep rolling. And that was nice that they were just like, nope, we're going to keep this well, I don't locked know. away. Maybe it means they can hold it over me for years to come so I can never go against the production company. Knowing that someone has a clip of it somewhere is enough to keep me towing the party line. Oh my gosh, when do you get on social and you're like, what? what is this video of me with the B? Oh my gosh, well, I'm glad you survived. Um, and you mentioned Candace too. Um, do you still keep in touch with any of the contestants? Because I know, which I love on your on your YouTube channel, um, you did a road trip and you visited some of your fellow contestants a year later. And then two years later, you were at Candace's wedding and a lot of the contestants came, I think all of them. So I thought that was really cool, but have you seen any of them lately? Well, so we haven't obviously seen each other for a little while now. <laughs> yeah, we pandemic. Keep, we, <laughs> I know, the, the big... That thing... <laughs> We, we love to keep in touch. It's like having some of the best bakers on speed dial whenever something goes wrong. It's such a dream. Um, yeah. But uh, we, we also love catching up. I mean, the last time we were all able to catch up, Rav from our series was launching an afternoon tea at this beautiful hotel in London. Wow. But it was, it was literally like two weeks before lockdown came in over oh. here. So we kind mm. of got to go to this. We all caught up. But little did we know that was kind of going to be the last time for quite a long time yeah. to be able to catch up. But um, it's one of the best things that came out of the show. It sounds very cheesy, but there's not many other times in life where you get to meet a lot of people from such a wide age range, variety of backgrounds that you can become such great pals with, with similar interests and, and get to spend so much time getting to know. It's just not something that comes along very often. Often it's just people your own age who you meet, uh, you know, socially or through work. You don't get put together with loads of random people and form these really close friendships. Yeah. I absolutely love that. And that's a good group text to send a gif of yourself to <laughs> or a meme yeah. of yourself. They understand. <laughs> so I, know. I think with, within the bakers, it could probably come across as a bit gloaty. So I, I think people are pretty, it's interesting, actually, we never, on the bakers group, no one ever really talks about anything exciting that's coming up. It's always been a very kind of modest, grinding mm. place because everybody's very respectful that people oh. have different ambitions and aims yeah you know some people it's kind of gone back to like life as normal some people like Candace for instance she's just announced that she's doing a second book it's completely wow. transformed um her life you know she runs a pub now um so wow. there's kind of it, it stays friendly and it's never kind of one-upmanship which is mm-hmm. it's so lovely and pretty rare Oh, that is, that's, that's so beautiful to have that friendship. That's not by proximity. It's by an experience that's so special. Um, and I love that you all keep in touch, but back to you, you baked a freaking rotating jet engine cake for Prince William. Can we please talk about this and his reaction? Because it was pretty cool. (laughs) Uh, yeah, he, I mean, that was, that was pretty surreal. That was just after Bake Off finished airing in the UK mm. and Prince William was visiting Rolls Royce the company I work at so I got this mysterious call saying that there was going to be a very important visitor and could I make a cake ideally engineering themed 
So anyway, I got wind of who it was and thought, <gasps> okay, it's it's got to be something spectacular. So I spent ages developing, it kind of had a secret skeleton, a gingerbread fan blades set in like a caramel disc. And basically the idea was it looked like a solid cake and you could spin the blades on top and it would rotate and everything you could see was edible. So I was up until 4am making it. Wait, the blades we- were edible? Yeah, the blades are edible. Yeah, the blades oh are made. Gosh. So they look kind of curved because I, I made each of the blades individually and then curved them over this mold so that it looked like they had, you know, curvature like a real fan blade would on a jet engine. Yeah. And um, so it has that kind of nice illusion. So anyway, it gets to the day, Prince William walks in and then he kind of looks at it and says, oh, you know, very good. And I say, <laughs> give it a spin. And he said, like, Really? And he just went over it and he spun it. And there's just this <gasps> moment where he kind of nodded. And I was like, top five life moment right there. And then he said, oh, well, I'll have to ring Mary because I think you should have won. <laughs> Better than actually winning for me. <laughs> On the floor. Oh, my gosh. I just want to reiterate that Andrew told Prince William to spin it. Like that's iconic. You get to say that. I would honestly just be like, put this in my biography, put this in my memoir. That's amazing. Give it a spin. Give it a spin. Give it a spin. There's a video online and you can see the surprise. I don't think he was expecting it. He hadn't been briefed beforehand. So he kind of looked <gasps> over and was like, like no, are you sure? And I was like, go for it. And then, you know, you could see him going, oh, oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> so satisfying. Oh. My gosh. So, So, uh, I mean, you've made, that's maybe one of your best creations, who knows, but what is a recipe that you've created that just means a lot to you that was very important for you to develop? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, one that, I guess, coming back to the whole baconeering thing, making the jet engine cake made me realize when I was making that I had to actually apply quite a lot of engineering process. Mm -hmm. Because if you want something to spin, it's obviously got to be extremely round and like the tolerances need to be really good so it doesn't just smash into the side of, of what yeah. it's being contained in. Very similar to engineering. So the kind of next step for that was um, to remove all the inedible bits from the inside. Because obviously this one, I had a bit of a secret skeleton. Quite often when you cut into large cakes, there's a bit of secret structure on the inside. So I was like, I want to make something that spins, that has that is 100% edible. So it was part of this renewable energy campaign over here. I made a wind turbine cake. I mean, that was that was one of my most satisfying because it was trying to do what other people hadn't done because often you want to put hidden structure in, but I kind of had this passion to, you know, if you're going to do it, do it properly. So I, it was oh. nice to kind of stretch myself. You are so creative. Like this, uh, this is just amazing to me. So you did mention baconeering, um, which I wanted to talk about. So they're live scientific baking presentations that you write yourself and then you give it on tour through the UK. You've done some virtually. So um, I guess you kind of mentioned the winter and buy, but is there another one of your favorite bake creations that you use because you use these? You're not just like science and then baking. You're like, literally, I'm using this food creation to explain and explore space. So what's one of your favorite things that you've created there? So um, the one that immediately comes to mind is, is baked Alaska. So I, it's important to say what I don't do, which sometimes when I initially explain this, people think, oh, you just make like a digger out of cake. And you say, oh, a digger's engineering and here's some cake. And that, that is not what I'm doing at all. I'm using kind of the method of the baking to explore the engineering. So one of the things is a baked Alaska. So ice cream on the inside, sponge base, a torch meringue on the outside. Why doesn't the ice cream melt? Well, it turns out it 
uses the exact same technique that they use for when the space shuttle returns from orbit so that it doesn't burn up in the atmosphere. So the tiles that are on the bottom of the space shuttle use the exact same kind of physical principle and clever engineering that a baked Alaska has. And it's all about pockets of air being wonderful insulators. So I kind of based this show around telling the story of space engineering whilst making this baked Alaska on stage. And it kind of just reduces the barriers to engineering because people love food. They understand food. It's intuitive. And it, it just makes everything a bit less scary. And what's better than an experiment you can eat? That's very true. Thank you, Meringue. I mean, who? I would have never thought about that. Like I said, creative. Well, here's, here's a question for you, Mia. I've done the calculations. Mm. If you were to, so say you like lost all the base of your space shuttle, right? Okay. How much thicker do you think meringue would need to be to insulate it the same amount to prevent the heat from getting through? Oh my god! So if you've got a tile that's, you know, like, <laughs> know. let's say like a tile is like two inches thick. How many times uh-huh. more thick do you think a meringue would have to be if you were to just replace it with meringue? I feel like this is a trick question and the answer is not that much more thick because meringue is that girl. Am I right? Or did it Give me a number. Give me a number. Give me a number. A number what, of like inches? Well, like how many times more thick? Oh. Three, two. No, 10. It's three. It is three. It's three. It's yes. three. Yeah. I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah, which oh is, my gosh. is really like, it's really surprising because you think, you know, it's obviously yeah. an incredibly engineered material, but in terms of insulation value, how much heat it can stop from transmitting through, which is what reentry does. So, you know, if, if you're in trouble up in the space station, just whisk up some egg whites. You know what I mean? Just like pop them on the bottom, <laughs> just get your ruler out and they'd be like, we're completely fine. Obviously, there's some subtleties that meringue's really flammable and everything. But if we just look at it from an insulation point of view, it's an incredible insulator compared to some state-of-the-art materials. So I, I just find those kind of facts fascinating that no one's really explored before. Oh my gosh, Andrew, I will remember that next time I'm in space. Thank you. Which will be next week, you know? <laughs> You're very welcome. I'll remember to just whip welcome. up some meringue. It's fine. Um, so really quick, you were part of Baking in Space 2020. So it's a series of online events for Ireland Science Week. Um, and I was really interested in this. So in what ways does learning about space help us understand more about how to live more sustainably on our planet? Um, because there's some parallels there, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, the whole basis of this show was uh, kind of going on a journey to orbit and back. So how we eat in space, how astronauts eat, can you cook in space? What are the hazards? But also how, you know, if if you think of the, the space station, you kind of think of it as a closed system. You know, you get food deliveries every once in a while and a bit of water, but you've got to be so efficient with what you use. You can't just chuck stuff out the sink. You don't have you know, mains gas, you don't just have an electricity supply ready to go, you don't have taps. So you've got to be very sustainable and have kind of got to think about the whole system. So it's a bit of an analogy for thinking about Earth. And when you think about your own house and all the things you bring into your own home and all the things you dump out, trying to think of it more as one of these closed systems and how you can try to make your life a a, a bit more like that. Because ultimately, you know, the Earth does that at a whole level. But if we all try and become a little bit more like that, it just makes the whole system work a little bit better. So that's kind of the kind of thinking that you can bring from space and some of the technology that we develop um, for being more efficient in space can help life here on Earth. 
That's so incredible. And this is one thing too, I don't know if people realize this about you. I mean, I researched you, so I know, but I feel like you're very passionate about making science accessible. And I think that's cool because, you know, some of the things people think it is scary and um, it's unobtainable, but you really kind of set the groundwork to be like, hey, like, let's just talk about it. It's a conversation and you make it really easy for people to understand. So um, that's, that's really, really awesome. Uh, but to switch, switch gears a little bit, you recently worked in Los Angeles and Based on your social media, you really seem to have loved it. Um, and I saw that you also <laughs> danced around Griffith Observatory, like in La La Land. How could you not? Um, but you also clearly ate your way through L.A. So did you have anything in L.A. that inspired you or became your favorite um, during your time there? Oh, my gosh. So I I ate up as much of L.A. as I possibly yes. could. It was incredible. <laughs> what an amazing place. And I have to say, I mean, I put out whenever I go somewhere new, having having a few followers on Instagram comes in very useful when you're going somewhere new because I got a deluge of recommendations. So there was a few places um, that I really, really loved. There's a place called Forage in LA, which I Ooh. absolutely adored. Um, there was another one because I was kind of staying in Silverwood or Silver Lake, Ooh, not Silverwood. Silver Lake. <laughs> Those are a type of pan. Silverwood are a type Rename of pan. Rename it. Rename it. Um, <laughs> I was staying in Silver Lake, which was amazing because places like Intelligentsia to get coffee and tartine, just an amazing Oof. bakery. I mean, I tend to err on the on the sweet side of stuff. There was a load mm -hmm. of restaurants I would have loved to go to. I was there during um, lockdown, so I ended up getting a ton of takeaway. Um, mm. And I've got I've got lists written down somewhere everywhere I went to, but I tried to basically eat somewhere different every other day, and it was That's delicious. Awesome. I had some amazing. Um, Filipino food as well in downtown. I can't remember the name of the place, but um, the variety is just incredible. You know, anything you want to try, you can just explore and have a little foodie adventure. Yeah, that's great. And speaking of the States too, so Gemma mentioned this a little earlier. Um, she talked about Irish traditions for St. Patrick's Day and they're very different in the U.S. Um, so what are some of the St. Patrick's Day traditions that you personally love? Question. So, I mean, I've always thought that the U.S. is way more intense in a good way about St. <laughs> Patrick's Day than, yeah. than we are. Um, now, I'm, I'm from Northern Ireland, um, so you kind of get a bit of a mix of communities of those who, like, go big with St. Patrick's Day celebrations and those who don't. I always tend to kind of bake something, which reminds me of home. So be that something yeah. like, you know, a chocolate Guinness cake, or we have this gorgeous oh my thing called wheat, wheat and bread, which is kind of like a soda bread, but made with wholemeal flour. And there's a family recipe. It's a treacle wheat and bread that's kind of sweet and toasty and rustic and amazing with soup. So, mm. you know, we don't dye our rivers green. We <laughs> often don't go out. I don't go out, you know, marching in the street. It tends to be a pretty quiet affair, to be honest. But it's always very yeah. entertaining to see everybody lose their minds across the Atlantic. Oh, my gosh. We must look like fools. I like work. Oh, no, it's very endearing, just a bit confusing sometimes as well. But you've got such, I mean, there's such a, a rich heritage of, you know, Irish um, immigrants so it's yeah. um, it's no surprise really I always just find it funny that it's almost just you know Boston I feel like probably has bigger St. Patrick's Day celebrations than Dublin does. <laughs> yeah. I've wild, 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 wild. Um, so we're going to wrap up soon. My last question for you is besides baking and engineering, what else is bringing these, you joy these days? It could be, I don't know, like a TV show. I know you watch Below Deck and Normal People. Oh or no, it could be don't, something don't mention Below Deck. Oh no. I've just, 
got off of Below Deck. Absolute horrific binge. <laughs> Two so many hours six of life. Days. It'll ruin you, honestly. Um, singing's my main thing. So my, my choir has been amazing. I sing with a little chamber choir here and we've been doing wow. kind of like remote recordings and people edit them together. So it's, it's something I really miss because we haven't been able to kind of get together um, yeah. And just so much walking. I'm sure loads of other people are in the same boat, but just yeah. so many walks. I'm lucky that I live beside quite nice parks that makes like a five kilometer loop. So I just plug a podcast in and I always try and make a point of getting out every day, rain or shine, just get some fresh air. And it just helps my mood, helps, helps lift me through and just think of the next day. Don't think about the long term, just kind of just keep on plowing on day by day and we'll get there. Oh, yes. And I, I saw too, I don't know if you still live in the same place, but I saw some of your stories of Derby of uh, like the scenery you walk by and like the rivers and the green. And it's, it's so, so beautiful there. So I imagine those walks are A filter cool. does wonders, and, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not. When, you know. when it's nice here, when it's nice here, I mean, the kind of British and Irish countryside is amazing. It's, it's so wildly different to like an mm. L.A., landscape but that's why it's so exciting for yeah. you to be there because everything's just much more dry and deserty and hot in general whereas here everything's kind of got like a a rich greenness which I don't mm. I, I haven't really seen the same way out in the US so yeah um, when I got back I kind of appreciated it that bit more Yes, it was, it was so pretty. So, okay, we're going to do, to close this out here, we're going to do a speed round slash lightning round. So I'm going to quickly ask you just a few questions and I don't want you to think, I want you to just spit out whatever comes to your mind first. Are you ready? Okay. Not okay. really, but yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, whatever it is. Here we go in three, two, your favorite baking utensil. Silicon spatula. Me too. Favorite childhood treat. Chocolate cake. Favorite late night snack. Crisps. Mm, favorite baking show. GBBO. <laughs> favorite person to bake for. My friends. Nice. And your least favorite baking question you get. Uh oh. Oh, it's hard. That's a trick. oh it's hard. why did my cake not rise? <laughs> With no What's other supporting answer? information. <laughs> it's fine if it has supporting information, but like, it's like, well, what was the recipe? What tin? What oven? What was the temperature? Like, did you scale it up? It's kind of, it's, that question could have so many different answers. The never so, ending uh, question. Was your baking powder out of date? It's like, give me some context. <laughs> context, people. And context what's is the number, Context is everything. And what's the number one thing you've learned from baking? Patience. And the fact everything's not going to be right first time. The analogy I always use is you don't pick up a paintbrush and expect to be Picasso. So if you're trying Mm. a new recipe, expect it to go a bit wrong. And if it's anything other than that, it's a success and just learn from it. Embrace failure as part of the process, just like anything creative. (laughs) Tear. I'm going to start sobbing. We got to get out of here. Okay. So Andrew, thank you for coming on the show. (laughs) Where can we find you on social media? And do you have anything cool coming up? That we can support. Uh, I'm just at Cake Smith. Smith spelt with a Y on everything apart from TikTok. I've not quite jumped the bandwagon there yet. Um, and yes, exciting big project coming up this year, which is hopefully going to be out in the States as well. Unfortunately, I can't say anything. I've got to be a bit of a secret squirrel about that. But it's 
very exciting and it's going to be along the lines of um, bacon earring, but on a completely new and exciting level. Whoa, I can't wait. I'm very excited for that. I'll be the first one just like waiting for the announcement. Um, but everybody can find me at yours truly Mia on Instagram at hot mess Mia because it's a hot mess over there on Twitter. Support Andrew. Um, stay tuned for his project. And don't forget that here at Need to Know, we're just starting out. So be sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars wherever you listen, give it a review and leave a comment if you're watching to kind of tell us what you want to see next week and in future episodes. So we want to thank you all for listening to Day and spending your Sunday with us. Have a good one. Bye, Andrew. I'll see you around. Bye. Thanks very much, Pia.